Hey guys, just a heads up. This episode was recorded a few weeks ago and there have been some recent developments since. So there is an update at the end. Just stick with us. Devonte Hart hugging a Portland, Oregon police sergeant named Brett Barnum. And this photo was taken at a protest. The protest was, do you remember um, Michael Brown? He yes. was shot and killed in Ferguson by Darren so, Wilson. So it was a protest over the lack of charges being brought against him, basically, for that killing. So Sarah and Jennifer Hart met while attending Northern State University in South Dakota. Sarah ended up receiving her degree in special education, while Jennifer claimed later to have had her degree in, in education, but she actually ended up dropping out. So they went to university together. Sarah got her degree, and Jennifer didn't. Sarah and Jennifer began a relationship in 2000 and were later married in Connecticut. A former foster daughter who identified herself as Lee to the Seattle Times told them her story being placed with Jennifer and Sarah. It was the summer of 2005, Lee was around 15, and the Hearts were in their mid-20s. So according to Lee, the first six months of being placed in their home were great. Sarah and Jennifer took her out camping, they took her to festivals, they took her to sports games, and it was at one of these events that Jennifer's true colors started to bleed through. So it was a Green Bay Packers game, and the three of them had each brought a football in the hopes of getting it signed, which... Maybe it's because I don't do football. But if you're a family, why are each one of you <laughs> bringing a <laughs> football to get signed? Like, wouldn't you just collectively bring a football? No, they, they could have it for different But reasons. even, like, mother-daughter? <laughs> it just seems so weird. Like, I get brother-sister. But, like, mother-daughter, it's like you're, like... They're probably really about it. That's so crazy. Oh, could, yeah. No. You could totally. Definitely. Because after the game, they approached running back Amon Green. I think that's how you say his name. Okay. And he happily signed the teen's football. And Jennifer was pissed because she was a huge Green Bay Packers fan. Oh. So she actually ended up blaming Lee. She said that Lee purposely somehow got Amon to sign her football over Jennifer's football. So Jennifer called her a brat and didn't speak to her for a couple days, which I just want to point out is such a narcissistic <laughs> tendency <laughs> to be jealous of your children. Jeez, yeah. That's crazy. So Sarah and Jennifer kept Lee isolated at home. She went to school and she had a job, but she wasn't allowed to leave the house to hang out with any of her friends or anything like that. So again, she's 15 years old and a junior in high school, and she has a job, but she can't go out with her friends. She has to be at home. If she's not at school or working at Subway, where she did work, yeah. she had to be at home with the two of them. Ugh. Yeah. So uh, the Hearts complained to a coworker that Lee ate food out of the garbage, which is an accusation that Lee disputes today. And they actually brought her into the department store that they worked at. The both of them worked together at... Starts with an H, some department store in the Midwest. And they both worked there together, Sarah and Jennifer. And they brought Lee into the department store for a makeover because they hated that she dressed like a tomboy. 
So during this time, the Hearts actually started discussing adopting children. They told Lee that she would be a big sister and showed her photos of the kids from Texas. Um, it was a set of siblings that they were intending to adopt. So Lee was super excited. You know, she's 15 years old, gets to be a big sister. Um, and a week before the kids were due to arrive in Minnesota, Jennifer and Sarah dropped her off at a therapy appointment. And it was there that Lee found out that she was not going to be a big sister. And they weren't coming back for her because they had contacted her caseworker and told Jennifer and Sarah told her caseworker that it was not a good fit anymore because Lee used wire hangers against their wishes. Wow. And this all stems back from the football or i personally yeah i think that's what it was honestly yeah and she was with them for a while she was she was living there with them she she said they'd even had conversations together they asked her you know would you like to stay with us until you're 18 years old like we want to have you here and she said yes and yeah 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 very extreme so that was their claim that she used wire hangers and so she got dropped off at that therapy appointment and her therapist had to be the one to tell her that she was not going to be going back home with them and they were not coming back for her. She was not going to be a big sister. And another family came and picked her up and took her home. And her stuff was already there. Whoa. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. So Wire it's just so sad. I grew up with a lot of kids. Um, a lot of my friends were actually like foster kids in school. Um, and it's sad. I mean, it. You always help, like, and I know there are good foster families, there are good foster parents, but I mean, the kids that I knew, to even today, they'll even say that it just affects them, that they don't trust anybody, and it's just sad. It's like super sad to have to be in a system like that. So, she ended up going home with another family. Um, she says this family that took her in actually. The, the father, I think, was like a youth minister or something like that, or a youth pastor. And she said that that family was amazing and um, that they, the father actually taught her forgiveness. And she ended, she ended up forgiving Sarah and Jennifer for doing that for her to her. She never talked to them again. They never said goodbye, like nothing. Wow. You would think even in that case, you'd at least like write a letter to the kid or something like that. I don't know, but very cold, very, very cold and... Just really sad to do that to a kid. Because, yeah, if she wouldn't have learned forgiveness for that, who knows what kind of issues. She, I mean, she probably still does have issues, but, you know, at least she's not angry about it. Yeah. So that was the summer of 2005, I think I said, right? That she would, she went home with them. Yeah, the summer of 2005. So she went home with them in 2005. And the kids, the younger kids from Texas, weren't adopted um, by the hearts until September 2006. So she was, Lee was there for at least a year. And the whole time they were telling her she was going to be a big sister and all this stuff. And um, so, yeah, it was in September 2006. The hearts officially adopted three siblings Marcus, who was seven, Hannah, who was four, and baby Abigail. She was only two years old. Uh, we don't know what happened for the kids to end up in foster care so their backstory is going to be a little bit short but it's believed they are possibly not full full blood siblings it's a sibling set so they probably had the same mom but 
Um, they don't know for sure, yeah, if their half-siblings are, are full siblings. Um, and it wasn't very long before the allegations of abuse began once they were placed in the home of Jennifer and Sarah. So two years later, in September 2008, the couple and the children were still living in Minnesota. They lived in Alexandria, Minnesota. And Hannah, who was now six, told a teacher that her mom, Jennifer, had beat her with a belt. And it left bruises all over her hand. So the teacher was amazing and did their job, and they contacted CPS. And Jennifer told the police and social workers that the girl had probably just accidentally fell down the stairs. And that's how she ended up with the bruise on her hand. Specifically, eight steps, I think is what she, she said. Wow. <laughs> she must have fell down eight steps and somehow bruised her hand. And she just decided to randomly tell her teacher that her she mom beat her with a belt. Yeah. You know how kids just make up lies about their parents yeah, abusing them all the time? Young, yeah, of course. <laughs> when they're six years old. <laughs> yeah. <Little> so... <liars. laughs> so we have to assume that explanation of her falling down the stairs was enough because the file was closed and they never did anything else about it. So um, a few months later in February 2009, so the first abuse allegation was September 2008 and a few months later, we're now February 2009, the Hearts adopted, adopted another set of siblings from Texas. Devante, who was four, Jeremiah was three, and little baby Sierra Rose. The couple ended up changing Sierra's name from Sierra Rose, spelled C-I-A-R-A, to just Sierra, spelled S-I-E-R-R-A. Mm. Which, why would you... Why drop the rose? It was so cute. Sierra Rose. So they changed it mm -hmm. <laughs> from a popular spelling to another popular spelling, um, which is just so weird to me. But I, the only thing I can think is because Sarah and Jennifer were like super hippy-dippy that maybe they changed it because Sierra with an S is like the Sierra Nevada Mountains or something like that. Yeah. I, that's all I can think because yeah. it's just so weird to do. But um, anyway, so their story starts a couple years earlier, back in 2006, for this sibling set. So they were adopted in February 2009, but they actually ended up being placed in the system uh, back in 2006. The children's father was in prison and they were removed from their mother's care because she was addicted to drugs. So she held a job and, you know, according to her, her children were always well-dressed and clean and fed, but she was a drug addict. So they ended up being removed from her care. And also Jeremiah, he tested positive for cocaine when he was born. And that's the, one, the middle one. So um, there also were some reports that I read or some articles that I read that said one of the kids had some broken bones also. Um, but that wasn't in everything. And I didn't see the actual court documents from it. So I'm not sure if that's true, but it, you know, maybe I don't yeah. know where else they'd get it. So, so it sounded like the kids were neglected, possibly abused. So it's really sad, but it actually wasn't just those three kids ended up being adopted by the hearts that were removed from the home. They had an older brother who was nine years old. His name's Dante. So the four kids were removed from their mother's care. And um, for the first five and a half months from being removed from her home, the four were placed with their aunt. They had a paternal aunt named Priscilla. And she had a really good job. She has no record. She had to raise adult children. So they placed her with the aunt. 
And um, she ended up buying a larger home to accommodate the kids. And one day in December, she received a call from her job and had to run into off to the office to take care of something. And she was only going to be gone for like 45 minutes. So she asked her, her daughter, her adult daughter, if she can watch the kids. So Priscilla gets back home and there's a social worker at her house. Then they said they stopped by for an unannounced visit and the children's mother was in the home. Hmm. Which is, you know, can't happen because she's the whole reason why they were moved from her care in the first place. So, you know, she gets home and all the kids are there. And I, I guess her daughter was still there. I don't even know if her daughter was still there. And the social worker is there saying that the kids have to be removed. So, so according to Priscilla, the daughter called the mother and asked her to come watch the kids. Hmm. I don't know. That's... You know, that's according to everything that I read. So the kids were removed immediately from the home. And the next year, in May 2007, Priscilla petitioned to adopt all four of the kids. So she wanted all of them. She wanted Dante, Devante, um, Jeremiah, and uh, what's her name? Sierra Rose. (laughs) I had her head in my mind. I couldn't remember her name. So she petitioned to adopt all four of the kids, and she ended up being denied. So she petitioned for a new trial, denied. She Would they say why? Just Okay. She know. actually ended up fighting for years to get the kids back. Because, you know, of course you want the kids to stay in the family and she had a good job. She had no record. She had no issues at all. Hmm. And she wanted those kids. She bought she got a bigger house. Wow. To be able to house all the kids. So she was serious about it, and she did. She fought for years and years and years, getting denied every single time, trying to get the kids back. So then we fast forward back to February 2009. The kids have been adopted by Sarah and Jennifer, just the three, just the younger three. We have no idea why she didn't want Dante, which is, like, so sad to get broken. Like, it's not even, like... Well, we only want two, one of them. We only want two of them. It's like, no, we want all of you except for, for you. you. Yeah. Yeah. That's just, oh my God. It like broke my heart a little bit. So the adoption of Devante, Jeremiah, and Sierra make the headlines in New Zealand. So the kids are from Texas. Sarah and Jennifer live in Minnesota. And this somehow gets picked up by some website in New Zealand. And Jennifer tells this, the uh, reporter that Devante was born addicted to drugs. And at the time of his adoption, he had already been neglected, abused, shot at, and had held a gun. And that the only words he knew to say were shit and fuck. She says that to the reporter. There is no documentation at all to back up any of that. (laughs) It just makes my skin like, I, I half expected the next line to be, and he smokes half a pack of menthols a day. Like, I, it's like every stereotype. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like what she must imagine, like, black poor black children grow up in or something. It was just so bizarre. Yeah. So she said that about, about um, Devante. He was four. Keep in mind, he was four years old hmm. when they adopted him. So she's claiming that by four years old, he's held a gun. Yeah. He only knows two words. Just ridiculous. So later that year, they're adopted in February 2009. And in September of 2009, the kids are enrolled in a public school in Alexandria. And then just a year after that, 
in November of 2010, more allegations of abuse. So little Abigail, she's now six years old, tells the teacher she has stomach pains. So the teacher discovers bruises from her sternum to her navel and from her back to her upper buttocks. Bruises, like her around her whole torso. Okay, she's six years old. The police interview Abigail again. The teacher does what they're supposed to do. They contact, um, I'm assuming, child welfare or maybe just the police directly. Police uh, officer interviews Abigail. She tells the police that her mom, again, Jennifer. So last time it was Hannah saying that Jennifer beat her with a belt. And this time it's Abigail saying, again, Jennifer hit her with a closed fist, held her head under cold running water put both hands around her neck, and then hit her again. She was then grounded. So after she got the shit beat out of her and waterboarded, basically, a six-year-old, she was grounded, which means she had to stay in bed and she had to miss lunch. So her mom, like, beat the shit out of her and then told her to to go to bed. And before this, she'd accused Jennifer of hitting her head against the wall. Yeah, okay. So let me just say that last time, you know, I guess they just assumed that Hannah was just going buck wild with her imagination yes. <laughs> and, and that she just fell on the stairs. And then she just decided to say steps, yeah. that her mom just beat her with a belt yeah. for no reason. So now we have to assume that, right, Abigail is just like she if Hannah was buck wild, Abigail is just yeah. at... <laughs> out of her mind <laughs> because this is crazy i i don't even understand how six-year-old like even a liar six-year-old i'd be like okay you cannot even imagine this in your wildest dreams like yeah. anything like that happening to somebody you're six yeah oh also i want to point out all of these allegations are all in court documents so these were documented allegations, either documented by the police or documented by a caseworker, social worker, you know, somebody in child welfare. So these are not just, you know, rumors. This is not, well, the kid told me that. No, this is. Hearsay. Yeah, no, this is recorded court documents. Remember, Abigail said it was Jennifer that abused her. Well, on the twist, Sarah ends up being convicted of domestic assault even though Abigail said Jennifer hit her. Sarah admitted she was just spanking Abigail and it just got out of control. That's all she would say. It just got out of control. Again, she just went there. I don't understand how you're spanking a child and somehow they ended up with bruises from their chest to their belly button and then from their back to their butt. Yeah. That's way out of, like, how do you even do that? She said she spanked her because they found a penny in Abigail's pocket. And when they asked her where she got it, she said she found it. And But they know she was lying. Hmm. Because you never just see pennies on the ground anywhere. Yeah. So she must... They said she stole it. She had to have stolen it. So not only in reality did you beat the shit out of that kid for a fucking penny. Like, the... How is a spanking over that even necessary? It's a penny. (laughs) That was November of 2010. In January 2011, Hannah, who's now eight, she's the one who first accused Jennifer of beating her with a belt. She's been approaching classmates asking for food 
And some of the kids start bringing like extra food with them because Hannah, they know Hannah's going to ask them for food. This same month, Hannah also tells the school nurse that she hadn't eaten all day. So because she told the school nurse that, Jennifer got mad and called her disrespectful and shoved a banana and nuts in her mouth. And then Sarah chimed in and said, she's playing the food card, just give her water. So after this, school officials agreed to stop even telling Jennifer and Sarah that the kids were asking for food because they didn't want them to get in trouble at home. Oh, wow. So they were protecting them to some extent. So yeah. So Hannah was asking for food. Some reports even say she was like stealing food like out of the garbage, like eating food out of the garbage can. And asking class, stealing food from classmates, like it was like, it was a big deal. But they, once they realized that Sarah and Jennifer were like abusing oh, them, but yeah, yeah, going, you know, getting so upset about it, they just all agreed to not even say anything anymore. It was around this same time, so that was January 2011, Abigail was found to weigh the same as a two year old. She was six years old, and she weighed the same as a two year old does. Anytime concern was raised about how small the kids were, Jennifer and Sarah explained it all away by saying the kids were high risk and had food issues and even said that Abigail's sister, Hannah, was obese before they adopted her. So they're just like, yeah, our six-year-old weighs the same as a two-year-old, but her sister was fat. But it's a lie. (laughs) Right after they were adopted, they went and had like family photos done. Hannah was not obese. Hannah was a baby. (laughs) You know, she was like, what, four when they adopted her? I mean, you have to be very large to be an obese four-year-old. Like, And then there's kids. Exactly. They're kids. It's actually, it seemed like the opposite happened. It seemed like after the kids were adopted by the hearts, they just seemed to get smaller and smaller and just basically like wither away to skin and bones. Um, There are many, many, many pictures and videos online um, showing the kids just get thinner, thinner and thinner and thinner. And um, in all these photos and videos, all recorded, posted by Jennifer, of course, to her social media, her Facebook, and on YouTube. She had a YouTube account trying to get subscribers like the ki- with the kids. And, you know, she's trying to work the social media thing. And all of them are just so fake. The pictures are so just so posed. And does it remind you of anybody? Yeah. So posed and fake. And there's even a photo of the kids painting which they're in their underwear, like that already bugs me, like posting pictures of kids, you know, in their underwear and stuff like that online. Which is weird. Yeah, so they're in their underwear, they're wearing little bandanas, and they're painting, right? In quotes, they're painting. They all have their little paintbrushes. There's any, like, there's some, like, strategically placed, like, paint marks, you know. Um, There's no paint on the paintbrushes. She forgot that little, she forgot that little detail. And everything else she was. Yep. So in in the videos too, so scripted. Like there's one she posted and she like forgot to edit it. So the kids, you can see them like kind of like pop up and start walking backwards because they had to start the scene over. Oh. Yeah. Crazy. (laughs) Um, You can look those up. 
You can look up the videos or on her Facebook. I know people at one point were downloading videos that she had posted previously and like uploading them to different YouTube channels so they didn't get taken down by the original uh, posters. So they're out there. There's a bunch of, uh, there's so, so many videos of these kids and 10 times as many photos, probably even more. So it's very, very available to see just how awful these kids ended up looking. There is a video where it even appears the kids are wearing like some kind of padding under their shirts. Hmm, like so that they, they were, so they looked filled, filled out yeah. and like healthy. <laughs> and um, it's just, it looks odd, like the way it is around. So, you know, who knows what was really going on, but I just wanted to point that out. Um, supposedly, because these children were so high risk, the women even told friends that the kids would never, never lead a normal life ever they were so damaged you know prior to being adopted by these saviors that they just could not function in in, you know function and have a normal life ever um they said that they would never hold a job and never leave the home and never live any kind of independent life which i just want to say again is another trait of a narcissist (laughs) you belong to me and if you're not here helping me you're worthless yeah. and you're never going to amount yep. to anything. Unfortunately, the statements about them never holding a job or leaving the home ended up being true. So in April 2011, Sarah is officially convicted of misdemeanor domestic assault after pleading guilty to spanking that got out of control. She is sentenced to a year of probation. The very next day, they pull all six kids out of public school. So there's a pattern of the kids going to school, the teacher noticing something's wrong, then the teacher gone. contacting CPS, and then an investigation is opened. So if you're abusing your kids and it's always a teacher that's noticing, so just it just makes sense to take them out of school because yeah. then there's no other adult around yeah. to notice no, what's no happening. No one else can supervise. Exactly. Yeah. So this is also where it gets more difficult to kind of track their movements and build a timeline because without those reports from the teachers or just anybody seeing them on a day-to-day basis, it's, it got really difficult to track. So that was in April of 2011. Uh, sometime around October 2011, Jennifer, Jennifer has begun taking Devante to protests and rallies, and she has him wear a sign that says free hugs like everywhere that they go. They went to like, they ended up going to like Bernie Sanders rallies and all kinds of stuff. And he always had his little free hug sign. This is also when Jennifer begins bragging that Devante is famous. Hmm. So now we're in 2012. Sarah moves to Portland, Oregon alone to look for work. That's according to friends. It's also been speculated by others that this is actually Sarah's attempt to leave Jennifer and the kids and start over. However, a few months later, Jennifer takes the kids to surprise Sarah, and on the way, Jennifer claims to have crashed the SUV and flipped it. She and the kids all survive with no injuries and hitched a ride with a man and his family who rented a trailer to accommodate all of them. Wow. I just want to say this story came directly from Jennifer, and there is nothing to prove that she ever flipped an SUV while on the way to Portland, Oregon. But if you're an abusive person... And your victim slash partner leaves from Minnesota to Oregon and just leaves you with all these kids and you want her back because if you don't have her back, then you're not in control of her. 
then it just makes sense just go, to go off go you just go and hey maybe you make up a lie about flipping your <laughs> flipping your fucking car yeah. with all six of your kids in it i just it's crazy <laughs> It's crazy town. So this where, to me, like when I was researching this, this is where like all the red flags in the world were raised. (laughs) I mean, if that actually happened, if, you know, she did somehow just flip the truck. It, I mean, it's a miracle, I guess, that everybody survived, had zero injuries. And your first stop after getting picked up was in the hospital to make sure none of your kids had like a concussion or you know internal bleeding or something but hey no let's just keep going we gotta get to portland jennifer and the kids end up moving to be with sarah Wow, (laughs) it worked the story worked (laughs) and they settled in westland oregon the documents for homeschooling are never filed so Mm. you know they took the kids out of public school in minnesota claiming they're gonna homeschool them they move from Minnesota to Oregon to Oregon, and they just might have slipped their minds. I don't know. Yeah. My thing is like, and I don't know. Maybe, I, maybe I'm totally wrong. But in order for your kid to end up like graduating from high school, don't you have to have some proof that they like attended? I would imagine. Elementary? Yeah. A record of some sort. I feel like you need to have that. So yeah. to me, it's like if you're a good parent, you know, and if you're really homeschool, you know, your intent is to homeschool, it seems like that'd be one of the first things you do. They ended up moving in 2012. And then in 2013, a family friend in California contacts Oregon Child Welf- Welfare and tells them she witnessed Jennifer deprive the kids of food as punishment when they visited her home for two weeks without Sarah. So at some point between moving from, or you know, after moving from Minnesota to Oregon, they made friends in California. Maybe it was a former friend, I don't know. But they ended up traveling down to California with, without Sarah. Sarah had to work. Um, and it was Jennifer and all six of the kids. They stayed with the family friend for two weeks. So she called the friend in California, called Oregon Child Welfare, and told them, I've seen Jennifer, you know, abusing the kids, refusing them food, all kinds of stuff. She said that, The kids often went without eating while watching Jennifer enjoy large meals and that they would also be punished by not being allowed to speak for a day or by standing in the corner for long periods of time. So the kids were interviewed by officials with them noting they had been obviously coached by their mothers. So, you know, sometime between, I guess, setting up the interview with CPS and actually attending it. Sarah Jennifer sat all the kids down and was like, this is what you got to say. And you have to, yes, because they said it was obvious that the kids have been coached by their moms. It's determined there is nothing that can be done because all the kids, of course, denied it. The hearts end up breaking off contact with that friend. So I don't know who narked. I don't know if CPS like shows up and like tells them. Yeah. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Or they figured maybe they only... Oh, man. Must have told someone. But I guess, too, yeah. I guess if they have the report and CPS says, hey, this person said you stayed with them for two weeks. To put the pressure. So. Maybe, I don't know. So. Well, then I'm just saying right then you know who it was. Yeah. I mean, how many people are you staying two weeks in their house with all six of your kids? Yeah. So according to another friend, when staying with her, they ordered a pizza for dinner. And each kid, each of the six kids is only allowed a small one small slice of pizza for the kids. And then the leftovers were put in the fridge. And the next morning, the pizza was gone. The box was empty. The leftovers were gone. 
So as punishment, the children were forced to lie on a mattress with sleeping masks on, hands at their sides, all day long. None of them would fess up to eating the pizza, so they had to go lie down on a mattress with their hands at their side, sleeping masks on, all day. Weird. I imagine they probably weren't allowed to talk either. Yeah. I know there were some reports also that the kids actually were not allowed to speak, even at home. They had to raise their hand and be like called on to be able to speak freely in their house. Well, yeah, what a, yeah, to mess up their psyche. Yes. I actually wouldn't even put it past two fucking heifers to have eaten the pizza yeah, in no. the middle of the night and yeah. then just were some sadistic game try to make the kids like tell on one another or something like that and then all of them get in trouble hmm. i don't know i just See, it's crazy it's crazy town yeah. over here so that same year in 2013 while staying with another friend jennifer barge in the door dragging marcus with her he's the oldest he's the oldest boy dragging marcus with her claiming he tried to punch her so i guess her and marcus were outside and the friend was inside, and she just came in, like, dragged... They didn't say by what. I don't know how she was dragging him. But she said she he tried to punch her while they were outside the house. And that he was, like, yelling or something like that. And uh, the friend was really skeptical because she never heard Marcus yelling. Yeah. All she had, like, it was just madness all of a sudden. Like, Jennifer's just dragging Marcus in, saying he tried to hit her, so... Jennifer, the Jennifer, the friend didn't believe it. <laughs> uh, previously, she'd actually told the same friend that Marcus once tried to kill her, but Devante saved her. Then hmm. that's all the information we have. I don't know how the younger boy like fights off his taller and older brother, but I guess whatever, according to Jennifer. So it's later revealed by yet another friend that Hannah and Marcus seemed to be targeted and punished more by Jennifer. Hmm. So Hannah was the one with the very first allegation of abuse. And uh, Marcus is the one that she's saying had already tried to kill her. Yeah. And tried to punch her, yeah. punch her outside the house. Um, they also said that uh, Devante is Jennifer's favorite and receives more privilege and affection hmm. than the rest of the kids. Again, another narcissistic trait yeah. where you have the golden child and the scapegoat yeah so it's totally just another thing where maybe you genuinely like that child more maybe but it's also a way to pit the other children against, against each, each other, other and you don't have and to do fight it. for your affection and attention and yes. everything else this same friend also said that marcus got in trouble on his birthday and as a punishment no one was allowed to wish him a happy birthday which is so horrible. Yeah, it's cruel. It's a child. Yeah, you know, really and when I read you. that, I swear to God, I had like a flashback. Because on my birthday when I was younger, I'd always have like some themed party. You know, like costume party. So all my friends would be there, you know, my classmates, whatever. I would always end up getting in trouble for being disrespectful or something and get in trouble in front of everybody and be sent to my room hmm. that happened on multiple birthdays, birthdays. yes hmm. yes yeah i think everyone should be exempted like 
Yeah, yeah you got in trouble on your birthday? Yeah, it's your birthday. That's like stealing a balloon on free balloon day. Yeah, no. It's not possible. Nope. It's but your birthday. For some crazies, it Are doesn't matter. Are you kidding me? They're sick. It's just cruel. It's so cruel. You have five siblings, and none of them could say happy birthday to you because of some perceived What a weird slight. way of control. Or um, It's just disgusting. Yeah, it's gross. It's just it's horrible. So on July 19th in 2013, a CPS worker and a Westland police detective make a surprise visit to the Hart residence after an investigation into the children's welfare was opened. So despite there being two cars with Minnesota plates in the driveway, nobody answered the door. They leave a card and a note asking the Harts to give them a call. So later that same day, the detective contacts the CPS worker who they went to the, the Hart residence with and notifies them that the Suburban that was previously parked in the drive was now gone. So there were two cars there with Minnesota plates. They moved from Minnesota, so we have to assume those were their cars. And one of them's gone now. Hmm. So Sarah ended up uh, calling the CPS worker and telling them that the family had been gone at the coast picking berries. So they missed their visit because they were just enjoying picking berries as a family. Um, yeah. Totally normal thing to do. <laughs> Yeah. Maybe in Portland. Maybe I shouldn't say anything. Maybe, Maybe. that's something that is like a common... Very <laughs> pulling out of thin air type of thing. Yeah, they were at the coast picking berries. So they unfortunately... What a lie. They missed the CPS and the police detective. Also, unfortunately, Jennifer and the kids had already left. They had big plans to go to a music festival that weekend. Hmm. So, you know, they went and picked their berries. And then they came home and... It was time to go. Jennifer and the kids had to leave. They yeah. have music festivals to get to. You can only... Actually, you don't have to imagine what they look like because there's videos of them at the music festivals. I have nothing against hippies at all. I do have a problem. And I guess it's not even... Well, because Sarah and Jennifer were, kind of, were pretty hippie. So I have a problem with those hippies specifically <laughs> because yeah. you know what happens at those festivals. Yeah, and they're little You know, kids. when other people are you know on weed or whatever... I mean, kids usually aren't going to tell. Kids, you're going to know. We're going to know because we're adults who smoke weed. <laughs> so we know what you look like when you're really high <laughs> on weed. <laughs> but kids aren't going to know. So whatever. However, when you're doing like shrooms and dropping acid just and all kinds of stuff, why would you take your children to that environment? Yeah. That's terrifying. Yeah. As a child, to be around somebody tripping balls, that's i don't even want to see that as an adult yeah that's scary jennifer and the kids were gone they had to go to a music festival sarah said she didn't know when they were going to be back she didn't know what their plans were her wife and kids leave and i don't know they're traveling out of state but i don't know i don't know where they're supposed to be when they're supposed to be there i don't know if they're dead or alive i don't you know it's just weird doesn't matter yeah <laughs> she tells the uh cps worker that she'll uh let them know when jennifer and the kids are back not i'll call my wife and find out what is this regarding you know i don't know who could have said no it was just oh i was taking and this is what she said i was taking out the trash and i saw your card and we were just at the coast Picking berries. Getting ready for our festivals. <laughs> that doesn't sound... I don't know where my family... If my family's going. I don't know when they're going to be back. Yeah. It sounds but bad. I'll let you know when they're back. 
Sounds like to totally me, I'd be like, oh, let me call my husband and find out when him and the kids are planning on me. No, but it, you know, again, you let me give them the benefit of the doubt. They were hippies. So, you know, you just go with the flow. Yeah, sounds about right. That was July 19th. On August 13th, Sarah calls the CPS worker and says they're back. This is almost a month after CPS first came to the door and made contact. They made contact with Sarah that same day. She called them that same day that they left their card. And Jennifer and the kids were at a music festival for almost a fucking month. So this is like hardcore (laughs) hippie shit (laughs) because I don't know what music festival lasts for a month. Apparently a good one like that. Yeah, I hope so. So this is August 13th. They're back in town. On August 26th, CPS finally meets with the kids. It's been well over a month since contact was first made. And, I mean, you know, contact, of course, was made after the investigation was open because the investigation was open because of the friend that called and said, you know, they deprived the children of food, you know, weird punishments, stuff like that. So that happened. They got the notification of it. Then they opened the investigation. And then over a month later, they finally meet with the kids. You know what happens in a month? A lot. Yeah. Bruises will go away. You can feed them a little bit more, so maybe they don't look so skinny anymore, yeah, like how they normally look. Yeah. You can do a lot of things to cover up a lot of things with a month of time. I just want to point that out. By this time, Marcus is 15 years old, so he's still young. Mm-hmm. Hannah's 11. Devante is 10. Abigail and Jeremiah are 9 years old, and Sierra's 8. So, 8 to 15. It's a pretty big range. Yeah. So, a lot going on. Very different. Especially, too, because it goes 8, 9, 10, 11, 15. So. Wow. And Marcus probably. A lot of elementary You know, he, he's a little bit older. So, he's a teenager. He doesn't want to hang out with, yeah, you know, his 11-year-old sister. I mean, maybe they do. You know, who knows? I feel like 15-year-olds now, well, probably always, but especially now, it seems like they're very, very, either very mature in, not even, you know, just like how they act, but even now, it seems like, I feel like high schoolers like look very mature. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that's about. I feel like everybody, I feel like when I was in high school, only seniors look like adults. <laughs> Or like any kind of mature. (laughs) But everybody else looked like a baby. (laughs) It's hard to say. So yeah, 15, between 8 and 15 are all the kids' ages. The two women were actually really hesitant at first to allow the children to meet with a uh, caseworker alone. Yeah. But the caseworker explained that because there are so many kids it's actually a faster process to just interview them each alone i'm assuming because you know then one will want to chime in and then the other one yeah and it'll never end exactly so they just said you know it's more efficient it's faster if we talk to the kids each alone so they they finally um agreed to that and Devante volunteered to be interviewed first so remember this is also the one that according to the friend jennifer this is like her golden child yeah. yeah so he volunteered first the children all denied being abused and told identical stories same Mm. as last time when the caseworker noted that they had obviously been coached in what they were saying so the kids told identical stories and they also would look 
to wherever Jennifer was sitting kind of for like approval. Yes. Of what, what, you know, before they can answer anything or, or say anything. Marcus told them of all the music festivals the family went to. I also specifically remember Marcus being the one who told the caseworker that he was so grateful to the hearts for like rescuing them hmm. and stuff like that. So, um, you know, I don't know if he felt that way or if Jennifer felt that way about yeah. herself because <laughs> who knows? Um, it was actually at one of these festivals that a family friend later said that she witnessed Sarah grab Hannah by the wrist so tight that it left a bruise for days. Hannah was... Hannah is one of the younger, younger younger ones. At this point, Hannah was 11. 11, Um, But they didn't say when they had attended that festival and when they witnessed that. But I believe the story was, um, you know, they had all their friends. They had like their hippie friends they would go to festivals with and hang out with. And uh, one of their friends, I guess, was kind of hanging out with Hannah. It was a woman. And she had bought Hannah like a snack. And Hannah came back, you know, eating it, came back to the family eating it. And Sarah called her selfish, like grabbed her by the, like took the food away, grabbed her by her wrist and like called her selfish for not sharing the food with anybody else. And this is, from what I can find, the first allegation of abuse against Sarah. I mean, I personally believe it was the both of them this whole time. I don't think it was just Jennifer abusing the kids. Jennifer is definitely the more outspoken one. She's louder. Sarah was always described as really quiet. Um, I do think it's possible. I do believe that when Sarah left Minnesota for Oregon, that she was leaving Jennifer and the kids. We don't know if, if it was both of them who are their adoptive mothers, because I feel like you can't just do that. You know, if you have kids together, yeah. Um, if you adopted them together, I mean, I guess you could, but I feel like Jennifer would have done like something legal mm-hmm. to like hurt her. You know what I mean? If she was also like Stop financially it. responsible yeah. and everything else. So um, I think Sarah was leaving Jennifer. I think it's possible that Sarah was abused by Jennifer. But you can be both a victim and the abuser yourself. So even if Sarah was being abused by Jennifer, it doesn't excuse anything that she did to the yeah, kids. And in my opinion, she was complicit to their abuse. Yeah. Even if she didn't put her hands on them. If you know that your it. wife is doing that, and I feel that way, whether it's a woman or a man or whatever, I think even if your husband's abusing your kids and you do nothing You're to make just... sure that your kids are not being abused, you basically abuse them too. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if you're being abused or not. You, you never let There's somebody no put their excuse. hands on your kids. Yeah. Even if you have to call CPS on yourself. Yeah. I do think it's possible that maybe Jennifer was abusive to Sarah since the beginning of their relationship. And once she realized that kids kind of took abuse from, from Jennifer, she was probably abusing Sarah less, maybe. And so Sarah was just whatever, because now she's not bugging me. Hmm. Which, again, is disgusting. So, in their um, interview together, because they did, Jennifer and Sarah requested that they be interviewed together. So, they finally agreed to let the kids, you know, be interviewed alone, even though the kids were looking to Jennifer for approval. Mm -hmm. They wanted both Sarah and Jennifer. They asked if they can be interviewed together. So, in their interview, Jennifer again tells this caseworker how high risk the kids are, how before they became their saviors... They, the kids, um, Hannah was obese. Jeremiah was delayed. 
They said Abigail was mentally retarded. That's their words. And Devante was very violent. He would kick a lot. Hmm. Jennifer also said that she feels like she's being targeted for being a vegetarian lesbian with black children. Hmm. She would say that. Who in Portland judges a vegetarian or a lesbian? Like, I get racist being, like, mad you have black kids. Yeah, if you're in Because the they're fucking dumb. Or... But to think you're being targeted for being a vegetarian lesbian? What are you talking about? Jennifer also reported to never use drugs or alcohol. And Sarah reported that she drinks the occasional glass of wine, but never around the children. Which is fine. I mean, whatever. Um, they were also questioned about Hannah's missing front teeth. So at this point, Hannah's teeth were gone. She's 11, so it's not like her baby teeth fell out. Mm-hmm. Just her teeth are gone. The women stated she knocked them out running and tripping on the carpet at home. And Jennifer actually made this post. I was going to call it something. It was a post she made on social media about Hannah knocking out her teeth. It was disgusting because it basically just said, well, we told her and she didn't listen. And now we have to go to the dentist. And it was all me, me, me. Like the whole thing was like I. It was a picture, too, of the teeth with the root. Yes. And it wasn't like, oh, my gosh, you know, my daughter's so clumsy. She tripped. And now, you know, I hope she's not in a lot of pain. I hope there's no permanent damage. We have to take her to the dentist, right? It wasn't that. It was just like... Oh, Hannah's such an idiot. With the teeth in her hand. I don't even know how you even think about posting something when your kid is... There's no way that's not painful. Yeah. Having your two front teeth knocked out? Mm -mm. (sighs) Mm-mm. Just... As a result of this meeting with the caseworker, a medical evaluation of the children was requested. Sarah told the caseworker it would take some time and the appointments have to be spread out since there were six of them, which that makes sense. I mean, you can't always get all your kids in um, at the same time. On September 24th, the caseworker learned of Sarah's misdemeanor domestic abuse conviction. And she also received the uh, CPS reports from Minnesota. They know that Sarah's been convicted of abuse and they also know there have been previous allegations against them for abuse. From Minnesota. And this is the caseworker in in Oregon. It doesn't seem like they really did anything with that information because that was in September of of, uh, 2013. And in November of 2013, Child Welfare finally receives the medical reports and growth charts for all of the kids. The reports state the doctor had no concerns despite all of the children, except for Jeremiah, being so small with their weights and heights that they weren't even on the growth charts for their ages. Hmm. So five kids are so small that they don't even fit on the chart for their age group. And the doctor was like, it's fine. No concern. In December of 2013, the investigation was closed. They have the, they know the conviction. They know the previous allegations. They know all the kids are so small that they shouldn't even exist, apparently. And they closed the investigation. That was the end of 2013. That finally brings us to the photo that I first showed you. That was taken in November 2014. Devante was taken to 
the protest wearing his free hug sign he always wore like a little fedora hat mm-hmm. <laughs> it's adorable and uh a portland local and amateur photographer named johnny nguyen takes the photo of Devonte hugging the police sergeant and that photo goes viral that photo got posted and reposted and retweeted and everything everywhere shuffle, yeah. yeah i remember seeing that picture and that's actually all that i had between 2014 all the way to 2017 now there was just nothing that i can find hmm. so now we're in may of 2017 the hart family moves from westland oregon to woodland washington And they bought a two-story, three-bedroom home with two acres of land. They failed to register the proper documents for homeschooling with the state. So they've now, this is now the second state they moved to, and there's no paperwork that they were homeschooling. No kind of schooling or anything recorded. And it wasn't long before more abuse allegations. Uh So they moved in May of 2017. And by August of 2017... It's uh, 1 a.m. in the morning, 1.30 in the morning, and Hannah jumped out of a second-story window, wrapped in a blanket, and ran to the neighbor's house. So the neighbor's names were Dana and Bruce to Cobb, and Hannah ran inside. They didn't lock their front door. She ran up the stairs of their home and uh, ran just straight up, just yelling for help, saying, like, don't make me go back there, all kinds of stuff. She claimed her moms are racist and that her siblings were starved and abused. She also asked them for a ride to Seattle, which I don't know if she just thought, like maybe she just felt like they're in the middle of nowhere or something. I don't know what it looks like in in Woodland, Washington. Um, So maybe she just knew Seattle was like the next big city or, you know, whatever. And she was like, just get me out of here. The DeKalbs never called authorities. They never called anybody um, because Jennifer popped up. She ran over and explained that Hannah was adopted and was having a bad night and took her home. I can't say, hindsight is always twenty twenty. I cannot say, I mean, I would like to sit here right now and say that if someone did, like if a little girl ran, with no fucking front teeth came running to my house saying she was being abused and starved and saying, don't make me go back there, that I would like lock on my doors and call the police, even if her mom came knocking, you know, because what the fuck? I don't yeah, know what I would have done. Scary. Well, especially if the mom comes into play, because then you're looking at like, yeah, gosh, she's capable. Well, of exactly. This to a kid, what is she? Well, and, and and Dana, you know, interviewed later said that she actually asked that same night if she can talk to Hannah alone, probably to try to be, you know, like, do you really need me to call somebody or what's going on? And Jennifer said no, that she wasn't going to leave her alone. They took her home, and the next morning, really early in the morning. Their doorbell rang. I think Dana said it was like 6.30 in the morning. And they ignored it. And then an hour later, the doorbell rang again. It was everybody in the family, including Hannah. They stopped by to apologize. And Hannah gave them a handwritten note Hmm. that just said, I'm sorry for disturbing your peace. You know, I was just sad because my brother was annoying me. Hmm. And two of my cats died. And I don't know how to handle it. And her last line was, thank you for being kind. Two months later, Dana's father. And you, these are adults. These are the neighbors are like, I think they're both retired. Mm-hmm. So these are adults that, you know, you would hope that they would know what to do. You know, not necessarily know what to do in that situation, but 
maybe in their worldly wisdom, yeah. you know, contact the authorities even still, even though, you know, you couldn't do it that night, maybe the next day. Um, but they said that when the family stopped over, that Jennifer kept them for like an hour explaining how the kids were adopted and, you know, they were violent the and they were yeah. obese and they were delayed and Hannah's difficult and she knocked her teeth out by herself and she doesn't want them fixed is what they said. She doesn't want her teeth fixed. She wants a gap in her two fucking front teeth where her front teeth should be and blah, blah, blah. And Dana said Jennifer is very convincing. You know, she sold it, mm-hmm. which, you know, narcissists do well, you know. They, yeah. they make you feel crazy when they... <laughs> They're good at yeah. manipulating. Exactly. So, you know, I, I believe that she sold it. I do believe that. However, Dana and Bruce shared this story with Dana's father. And Dana's father, two months later, ends up calling 911, saying, I can't not say something. You know, my, my daughter told me this story, and I believe that those kids are being abused. So he broke and he he called somebody. Even though Dana didn't, well, and also that allegation went nowhere because they said it was third-party information and they Mm -hmm. can't just investigate because somebody said that somebody said. So they did nothing with that. So even though Dana didn't contact the authorities or anybody about the incident, she did start keeping a closer eye on her neighbors. Like I said, they're retired. So, and you know, they live in all this land. So I guess there's not a lot to do, just kind of watch (laughs) <laughs> what's happening at your neighbor's house. She started keeping a closer eye on them. And she even said she would take notes on her phone. She would like start typing up notes when she'd see them doing stuff. So she noted when Jennifer's Yukon or Sarah's Sunfire would come and go from the house. She took notes on how Devante was the only child that they ever saw outside. He was the only one who tended to the land or tended to the animals, do yard work, all that kind of stuff. Um, and they had like chickens and stuff like that, like chickens and ducks and animals and stuff like that. And I believe I even read that the DeCobbs thought there was only four kids. There were six of them. But because the kids never went outside, they thought there was less than there were. And I believe they even said when the kids would pull up to the house, you know, you would think with six kids, doors fly open, kids are jumping out of the car, running to, you know, doors did not open. Jennifer would get out and open the doors one by one. And the kids would get out and wait in a single file line. Like jail? Before. Yes, before walking into the house in a single file line. Quiet. Kids were always quiet. She also noted how the blinds were always closed. So they never opened their blinds. Now we're in March 2008. So March of this year. On uh, a Thursday in March, Devante, who is now 15, came up to Bruce in his driveway. Uh, he said Devante was like looking back at his own driveway, like looking kind of nervous. And uh, Bruce was in his driveway just working on his car. And he says that Devante came up and asked him for a pack of tortillas. So he gave it to him. He kind of thought it was like, you know, like borrow an egg or like borrow, you know, like, oh, can we have a pack of tortillas? And he just gave it to him. So he didn't really think anything of it until Devante came back the next day. He came back on Friday morning and then he came back again on Saturday night. And uh, each time he just asked for more food. So they would give him like protein bars, like that kind of stuff. And then he'd come back again the next day. Um, they said it got to the point where sometimes he was stopping by three times a day asking for food. And during these visits, he would talk about his parents and his siblings. And he said that uh, everything that Hannah said the night that she basically escaped, that she jumped out a second story window and ran to the neighbor's house was true. 
He said she was telling the truth. He told them that his parents would starve them for days at a time. And he begged them not to call the authorities because he was afraid that they would split all the kids up. One day he shows up with a list of food. And it was stuff like peanut butter, cured meats, which I'm assuming is just like beef jerky, like that kind of stuff, you know, Slim Jims or something, Um, and non-perishables. He requested that they put the food in a box and place it somewhere near the fence line where his moms couldn't see. Hmm. On March 23rd of this year, Dana said Devante had visited 10 times by this point, asking for food and asking for um, the food on that list. She said by this day, March 23rd, something had to have changed because Devante said, did you call yet? And before this, he said, don't call, don't call. They're going to split us up. And he said, did you call CPS yet? So Dana called CPS. She called a CPS worker. or She called CPS and a CPS worker stopped by the same day and witnessed Jennifer pull her Yukon into their driveway. So she knew they were home. So she goes up to the door, rings the doorbell, nothing. She said she heard nothing. So she left a card. Less than an hour after the CPS worker left, Dana, watching everything <laughs> the neighbor was doing, saw Sarah's Sunfire racing up the drive, like just speeding up the driveway. That was on March 23rd. The next morning, it was a Saturday, March 24th, the Yukon's gone. Uh, Sarah, this whole time, had been working as a manager at Kohl's and was due to open the store at 6 a.m. Saturday, March 24th. Um, but at 3 a.m., she texted her coworkers and said that she was too sick to open. She also texted a friend named Cheryl saying she was sick and may need to go to the hospital. In reality, by this point, the family ha- was gone. They were leaving Washington and they were making their way to California. She said, oh, I'm sick. You know, I can't make it in. No, it, they were just, escape. they were gone. Yeah. Wow. The day after CPS visited. The next morning after that, it's now Sunday, March 25th. Jennifer is captured on surveillance videos buying groceries, a couple of groceries at the Safeway in the Fort Braggs area of California. So they're in California now. She ends up spending $20.08 paying cash for bananas, carrots, canned beef ravioli, bread, cereal bars, and saltines. And they end up staying in the Fort Bragg area until around 9 p.m. Also keep in mind that this whole time, Jennifer has been telling friends, the internet, anybody that they're vegetarians. Hmm. She just bought beef raviolis. Was it for the kids? They also, all of them. She said all of them were vegetarians, the whole family. And the kids loved it. And they're being judged because they're a vegetarian family with lesbian moms and black kids. Oh, wow. And it's canned. They made this huge deal to CPS that they were all organic and non-GMO and all that kind of stuff. And they're buying Chef Boyardee's. Yeah. So. Yeah. So uh, on the next day. It's now Monday, March 26th, around 1 p.m. Sarah's friend Cheryl, so this is the one that she texted saying that she was really sick and she might need to go to the hospital. She contacts the sheriff's department in Clarks County, Washington, asking them to perform a welfare check on the family in Woodland, Washington. In that same day, the Washington State Department of Social and Health Services attempts to make contact with the hearts at their home. That was just a follow-up on the first visit, which prompted them to flee. Now, Cheryl's contacting the sheriff's department. CPS is trying to make their second now attempt to contact them. Hours after that second attempt is made, a German tourist calls 911 to report the Hartz Yukon at the bottom of a cliff in the ocean. It was less than half an hour from the Safeway that she was on camera at buying groceries where she bought her beef raviolis and 
yeah, carrots and all that stuff. Sarah and Jennifer, who at this time were now both 38 years old, were found in the two front seats. Jennifer had been driving. Marcus, who was now 19, Jeremiah, who is now 14, and Abigail, who was now 14, were all floating amongst the wreckage in the ocean. They hadn't been wearing their seatbelts, and all five of them were dead. Devante, who's now 15, Hannah, who's 16, and Sierra, now 12, were missing. There was no luggage in the car. This was not like a, we're going to, even if it was like, oh, we're going to, no, even if it was like, you know, they, they went camping all the time. Maybe they're going to camp it out, you know, like they did before. Blood a month pass. Let the bruises heal. Let No. They brought nothing. Autopsies were performed and tests were ran. Jennifer was found to have had a blood alcohol level of 0.102, which is over the legal drinking limit. And Sarah and the kids were found to have high doses of the active ingredient in Benadryl in their systems. Really high doses. It was determined that Jennifer had not braked before the crash. And actually, the Yukon had sat idle before it ever made off the cliff. So they know from whatever kind of computer system is in, you know, modern cars. Or it doesn't even really have to be that modern now. <laughs> yeah, but. but, you know, they can tell. And also there were no skid marks, no brake marks, nothing. So it was very intentional, it seems. She actually had sat idle and parked before she hit the gas and plummeted 100 feet off of a cliff into the Pacific Ocean. Which means that Jennifer Hart, possibly with help from her wife, Sarah Hart, had intentionally killed their children and themselves. Beforehand. A body believing to be that of Sierra's washed ashore two weeks after the crash. And at this point, Devonta and Hannah are still missing. Now we're in April. So in April of this year, it is reported that Texas paid the Hart's $1,900 a month for the child's care. So they got an extra income. Remember, Sarah was a manager at Kohl's. Previous to that, I believe she had worked at that department store that her and Sarah both used to work at. And she worked there for a long time. So I'm sure her salary was like decent, you know, but then she just left and she went in and got a job as a manager, which I'm sure they don't make bad money either, but it's not like, you know, she had seniority and all that kind of stuff. So... I'm sure that income helped, the $1,900 from the state of Texas, which is so odd because they're already adopted. You know, I understand foster, mm-hmm. but when you adopt kids, they're your kids, you know what I mean? Mm. But they do things different in Texas. So nearly a week later, on April 12th, their home in Woodland, Washington is searched with human remains detection dogs. Because remember, at this point, Devonta and Hannah are still missing. They don't know if they were in the car. They don't know yeah, what happened. The dogs got no hits, though. So no hits of human remains on the property, on the two acres. And on April 13th, reporters found and interviewed Devante, Jeremiah, and Hannah's biological mother. So this is a woman who she had her children taken away, all four of them, because she was addicted to drugs or possibly abu- you know, abuse going on. She now works as an in-home care worker. She's married and has been clean for eight years. And she said they're so quick to snatch children from people like us. But once they're adopted, they don't even check on them. Mm. What's worse? Paid. Yeah. Your mom being addicted to drugs? Or your adoptive parents like beating the shit out of you? I would say the, that one. 
So on April 17th, the body that washed ashore is positively identified as Sierra's. And Sierra is officially confirmed dead. On May 10th of this year, a West Point, California resident finds girls' jeans and a shoe on the beach about a mile away from the crash site. Instead of contacting authorities, and at this point, the FBI was involved. So they had the Mendocino County Sheriff's Department, FBI, fucking FBI is involved, and this person does not contact the authorities. And instead, they give the girls' jeans and the shoe to a family friend of Sarah and Jennifer's from Minnesota, who was there searching for Hannah and Devante. They just give it to him. Once they realize that the shoe contains a skeletonized human foot, they hand it over to authorities. It is believed the jeans and shoe belong to Hannah. But even today, as of right now, authorities are having a really, really hard time finding blood relatives of hers to test the foot against. They believe it's Hannah's, it's most likely Hannah's, but they cannot confirm that it's hers or that she's dead because they don't have a blood relative of hers. When Hannah was adopted with Abigail and Marcus, remember how I said before, they are possibly half, you know, not full blood siblings. Mm -hmm. So it's not known if they were able to keep a DNA sample of Marcus and Abigail when they found their bodies to be able to test once they found Hannah's. And even if they had, if it still would have been able to confirm because they're not full blood. I don't know how all that kind of stuff works, but as of right now, they don't even, they cannot confirm that it's Hannah's. So on August 23rd of this year, authorities released photos from inside the Hart home. So the home they had in Woodland, Washington. It shows the fridge stocked with chicken breasts, Mm -hmm. hot dogs, eggs, ground beef, ham, tilapia, corn dogs, and pizza rolls. That's a lot of meat for vegetarians to have in their home. Like, a lot. (laughs) They also found 17 bottles of wine, which seems like a lot as well when Sarah said she occasionally has a glass of wine when the kids kids aren't there. And they found a jar of weed with a small pipe in the bedroom. Which to me, personally, of course, I don't care. But it's just, it was all part of the illusion, you know. They were these vegetarians, didn't drink, didn't smoke, didn't have a TV in their home. They found a big screen in their living room. Never, didn't have any, the kids were not allowed electronics, nobody had electronics, we're one with nature, we'd learn outside, you know. That was our whole thing. But they had laptops, tablets. TV in the room, in the living room, meat in the fridge. Like, it was all an illusion. The children's toothbrushes were still in the bathroom, and their suitcases were all stacked. They had, like, a little area of their garage where they kept everybody's suitcase, and all the suitcases were there. The kids' toothbrushes were there. An investigator called the house sterile and stated it did not look like children lived there. And according to different reports, there were either two beds and a mattress on the f- in one bedroom, Or just one bed. Or sorry, two twin beds, I think it was. And uh, in the children's room. Because remember, it was a three-bedroom house. Yeah. And there were empty picture frames hanging on the walls. On August 29th of this year, the estranged families of Jennifer and Sarah petitioned to have Hannah and Devante declared dead, officially. They listed the Woodland home for sale, and without next of kin, their families stand to receive the profits from the sale of that home. So they can't take any of the profits from the house selling if Devonte and Hannah are still alive. Hmm. So they petitioned to have them declared dead. So they could get. Yeah. 
Before the crash, the couple had actually had actually started renovating the home, including a walkout basement, which I'm just like, like they're getting there. Well, I'm just yeah, I'm just like, were they planning to put the kids in the basement or Jesus, who fucking knows? On August 31st of this year, it was reported the Hearts received $41,000 a year in funds intended to care for the children. An extra $41,000 a year. It was also discovered the Hearts carried $21,000 in credit card debt and had made a payment towards their Discover card in the early hours of March 26th, which is the day the crash was discovered by that German tourist. So they made a credit card payment and then... Drove their car off a cliff. I just, to me, I wonder if it was like one last attempt at like a little bit of a cover up. Yeah. Like, hey, at least we don't carry $21,000 in debt. Like something weird. I don't, I don't even get that. The empty picture frames, the everything. Hmm. Like an investigator had said that they, there was nothing that would indicate that teenagers lived in that house. Like it was just, they had nothing. Jeez. No kind of um, individualization, like nothing. Hmm. The Mendocino County Sheriff's Department and FBI are continuing to investigate and intend to bring all the facts to the public once the investigation has concluded. So where is Devante? Devante to this day is still missing. I hope in my heart that that food that the neighbors like bought for him, he took it and just like ran or something, you know, and that with all these camping trips that he actually learned something and it's like surviving off the land. I don't know. Like in my heart, in my head, I just want to believe that he's like out there somewhere. He would be described as shorter than average. And hopefully if he's alive, he would have like kind of filled out, you know, by now and isn't all skin and bones. Um, he has black hair, dark brown eyes, brown skin, and a huge smile. He was always smiling in all the pictures and videos. He was like obviously like a born, you know, entertainer. Mm-hmm. And who knows if maybe that's why he was Jennifer's favorite because he was the best at pretending that everything was okay. You know what I mean? Like who knows? He would be 16 years old. If you see him or have information on his whereabouts, you can contact the FBI, um, even submitting it an anon- anonymous tip online. So if you have any information as to, you know, what happened to him, anything like that, you can go to FBI.gov and there's a little link at the bottom. It says submit an anonymous tip. I've had to do it before. Not going to talk about it right now. It wasn't about this, (laughs) but it's very easy. And I just said that to say it's very, very easy to do. I guess we're going to talk about what we think happened. Uh, I do want to say there is a theory online uh, that Sarah and Jennifer maybe somehow found out that Devante had been... um, Asking the neighbors to to call CPS and yeah, asking them for food, and that that they somehow knew that's what started the you know the latest investigation, and so maybe they, you know, got pissed and like started you know abusing him. Yeah, maybe by you know maybe did mean to kill him, maybe accidentally you know you know wounded him really bad or something like that, and And just panicked. The point of no return. Exactly, just kind of panicked and like dumped him somewhere. Maybe he was, you know, maybe he's either dead in the car or alive in the car and his body, you know, got swept out to, who, who knows? Yeah. I I really don't know. Could have been a confrontation and then them just. Yeah. Which explains why they would randomly up and 
Yeah, because they'd never done that before. Like, okay, we gotta go. I mean, they had definitely fled before, like Jennifer with the kids, but just that Sarah, you know, Sarah came home and they all left. That's no baggage. That's different. Nothing. Yeah, that's yeah. really different from before. So yeah, who knows? I mean, who knows what happened? Seemed like Hannah definitely was a favorite to abuse, and maybe they did something to her and took it too far. Yeah, and it seemed like. You know, when Devante was asking for food, he was asking for, you know, can I get six of these? Can I get six of these? So he was asking for food for himself and his siblings. Um, So it seemed like, you know, he maybe was protective of them. He definitely risked a lot. And to go and visit the neighbors as much as he did, knowing that his parents could come out and see him. They trusted him and only him enough to go outside and take care of the yard and take care of the animals. They probably never, ever, ever thought that their golden child would betray them like that. Mm. So who knows, you know, they would feel so betrayed and angry if they had found out that he had been visiting the neighbors. Yeah. So. Yeah. And then at that point, they probably could have unleashed on him. Yeah. 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 I guess I just hope that, you know, all the kids... Hopefully, because they had such, at least three of them had such large doses of Benadryl or, you know, the active ingredient in Benadryl in in their systems that they were just knocked out. It didn't feel And hopefully, yeah, hopefully it just like died on impact or something. It is interesting that Sarah also had um, the Benadryl, the large dose of Benadryl. So to me, that just either says that she knew about it and just didn't want to be awake. Yeah. Or Cowards, maybe, yeah. exactly. Or maybe Jennifer, you know, did dose her. Maybe Jennifer dosed all the kids. I don't know. I, I really don't know. I do know that if you're starving a, ch- a child and you say, hey, here, eat this food. They're going to eat it, even if it tastes kind of funny because there's Benadryl in it. Yeah. Or if it was in the drink or however. I mean, I'm sure then at that point. it's going to be even heavier effects because you don't have much yeah, food in your system. Exactly. And I'm sure even at that point, even if they said, take this Benadryl, they would have just taken it because yeah. what are you going to do? Say no? Yeah. So, and two, that, that Jennifer was the one that was drunk off her ass. I mean, it was definitely deliberate. Mm. There's a theory that maybe, because Jennifer or Sarah, I can't remember which one, had told people that when they travel, sometimes they just sleep in the truck. You know, instead of paying for a hotel or whatever. So maybe that was a routine when they, you know, would sleep in the truck. They would just take a Benadryl, go to sleep. Um, And maybe, you know. That was just code. No, maybe they just uh, didn't. It wasn't abnormal to take a Benadryl. So maybe Sarah just took her Benadryl, went to sleep. They're probably thinking how we're going to go to sleep. Meanwhile, Jennifer is getting drunk enough to make herself Drive off a cliff. To do this. Wow. So they're knocked out, unbuckled, you know, you don't sleep with your buckle on. That's yeah. horrible. Yeah. Sick. And these are people that were adopted these kids. And, and that's the thing. Why issues. adopt all these kids just to abuse them? Like, what is yeah. wrong with you? Did, it, did they adopt the kids to abuse them? Maybe. Or did they adopt all the kids and like couldn't handle it or what? Yeah. And maybe also, too, it's like financially, if you get a bunch of them. Well, that's the thing. It's like you weren't using the money intended to care for them to feed them, take them to the dentist, take them to the doctor, like nothing. Yeah. To buy them homeschooling stuff, like nothing. Yeah, no. So that all went in your pocket. Mm Mm-hmm. 
so yeah maybe that maybe they did did just adopt a bunch of kids just to get the money i don't know yeah and then for them it seemed easier if they were all from the same home or whatever and they could it sounds like they mm-hmm. would have these crazy stories anyways yeah so they could fold that well in. too it's like texas de- definitely does it kind of funky because they were getting paid by the state of texas and i know that in the case of some of the kids that money was coming from their stepfather not even their biological father their stepfather was having his wages garnished by texas to pay to give to the kids even though they were adopted Mm. so there's something we they do stuff funny down there i don't i don't know what they're doing there's even more information and stories, you know, from from friends. There wasn't Neighbors. a lot from family. Sarah yeah. and Jennifer were both estranged from their families. And Jennifer specifically, you know, she has a brother too. And they, she didn't talk to any of them. And they said, uh, she actually said it was because her parents did not agree with the way she parented her children. Wow. I don't know what that means. Like, I don't. Probably like, hey, maybe you should feed them. Well, I don't know. Yeah, that's why I was like, is it was it that or was it just like the kind of hippie lifestyle? Was it because she was a lesbian? Like, what what does that mean? Yeah, very vague. But uh, so yeah, there's just a bunch of information from friends, festival going people. I just remember too, while all of this was going on, so while news was breaking, you know, new news coming out every day, every week, whatever. Um. A lot of their friends came out defending these women. They weren't bad mothers. They didn't starve them. They didn't abuse them. The kids the had issues. It. Yeah. it was always the kids had issues. The kids had uh, the kids were anorexic. The kids had issues with food. They weren't starving them. Sometimes they would eat, and sometimes they wouldn't eat. They're picky eaters. That's what a uh, there's this guy called Nico Bear. Hippie music. Like world music. Like the kind of music nobody fucking listens to. Okay. First of all, at the beginning, he tried to totally distance himself from this family. Oh, well, I only met them once. I didn't really talk to them. I didn't know any of the kids. And then he completely flips around and says, I knew them very well. We were really good friends. We always hang out at the festival. I hang out with the kids, this and that. Devante was anorexic and just nonsense. Going crazy. They're just being targeted because it was a transracial adoption and they're lesbians. Because Sarah and Jennifer were were white women. Yeah. And all of the children were black. They didn't abuse them. You're, you, he even said at one point, because he's going, he was going back and forth with people on Twitter at one point. You just need um, uh, some lesbians with black kids in your life. That's what he said. Hmm. What a weird thing to say. I, it's just so disturbing to me. You know, I, I totally understand being a friend, and then your friend does something terrible. Like, how do you reconcile that? But the way you don't do it is, is to call. Out these children who were obviously starving again there are so many pictures of these kids skin and bones you even start to notice how in some pictures of the kids their shirts are pulled up 
like kind of covering like you know their chest bones because if you saw that I mean there's a picture of Abigail who I believe was six at the time just you can see her whole rib cage like every bone in her chest is sticking out Mm. her arms are skin and bone when kids are little like that they always have a they have fat on their body they can be skinny 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 and they their bones don't stick out the way that they do when you see some of these pictures of these kids it's just horrible and so to just call those kids liars and to say that your friends didn't do anything wrong and even if they did it doesn't make them a bad mother like just stuff like that it's just it's disgusting yeah And I guess it goes to show just how well Jennifer, and it was Sarah too, but Jennifer was the one all on social media, just how well she just lied to everybody all the time. Yeah. Because even people, oh yeah, their whole thing is all perception. Social media is where. Yeah. None of it is ever real. Mm -mm. And even the people that spent time with them, like that guy, that artist. Even seeing the kids in person, and I and I understand that Jennifer was good at lying about it, and she always had an excuse. They have food issues, you know what? Who know, you know? If you see a skinny kid in public or whatever, and even if you do bring it up, if the parent says, "Oh, they have issues, they have medical issues, they were adopted," you know, then I guess then what do you say? So I get that part, but to me, once the investigators confirm that it was done deliberately. You just need to go somewhere and be quiet. If you want to mourn your friend, go do that quietly. Yeah. Nobody else needs to hear about how they weren't bad mothers when they drove their kids off a cliff. Good mothers don't do that. Nope. <laughs> Ever. Nope. It's not very deranged people. You know, even if they didn't starve them. What if they fed them all the time? The kids got to eat whatever they want. They got to eat ice cream before their dinner. Anything. You drive your kids off a cliff. Yeah, you're right. Uh, yeah. Ugh. No. Horrible. There is a lot. There, there are very, very many stories out there, articles, interviews with people, um, and I just could not include any more. <laughs> I already did because it, it, it was already seven pages long. Yeah. So I'll figure out a way to put like links to a lot of the places that I got um, information from, and anybody can go and read. Uh, also... While researching, this is going to sound really random, but there's this website called babycenter.com. And a user on, there's a forum, there's like community forums, and a user on one of the community forums at babycenter.com started a thread about this case when it was like brand new. Ended up being like 500 pages long. Yes, I read all 503 pages because it's easy to do. Anybody can actually do it. It's only like five replies a page or something like that. So, you know, it's not, oh, it's not like 20 replies and you read 500 pages of that. It's not that bad. But I got a lot, a lot, a lot of information because everybody was linking everything and discussing it. Um, and specifically a user on there. Her name is Vera6240. She put together a timeline. It's like 20 something pages long. This woman took the time to put together a whole timeline that helped me so much. And uh, she includes links. And she has like court documents and all kinds of stuff. So I can also find a way to link that um, timeline that she did because it's amazing. 
But yeah, I that guess is that's nuts. it. Yeah, that it's, is uh, it's infuriating. Sad. It's, it's really, really sad. Um, it's sad because it's gross, it, I feel like the kids were failed so many times. Obviously, the primary person, you know, the people responsible are okay, Sarah and Jennifer. Yeah. But just that so many people knew things were going on and reported it. You know, the neighbors ended up reporting it. And, of course, that's what that's what probably caused them to flee. But just that there's no legal recourse. There's no kind of, like, national registration yeah. for CPS or anything like that. You know, they just didn't file the homeschooling documents. So then whatever. It's like, no, there needs to be some kind of something that you can track kids. You know, whether that means stricter homeschooling requirements, which, yeah, are going to be a pain in the butt. But if it saves children's lives, that's all that matters. Then you just have to do what you have to do. Mm-hmm. Same thing with CPS. Is that going to cost a shit ton of money? Probably, yeah. But are children not worth it? Yeah. Worth a shit ton of money to keep them alive and not yeah. abused? And again, it's like they were taken from their parents. We don't know why Abigail and Marcus and Hannah were removed from uh, their parents. Should, again, is it better to be raised by a drug addicted mom or abusive? Yeah, who would? Yeah. Parents. It just, I, I, I really don't understand, especially why when. Uh, I prefer neither. But well, exactly. But the lesser of two evils is definitely going to be the mom who is addicted to drugs but still has a job and still feeds her kids and yeah. still dresses them in clean clothes. Yeah. It's just... Yeah, the beating, there's no excuses for that. Especially if you're adopting them. So it's not like... Yeah. Did a, you guys had a bad decision one night and you're keeping it, whatever. Well, and um, it sounds like, too... It never should be condoned, but I could see where... Yeah. Someone would go that way. But yeah, you know, purposely take these kids from somewhere and do yeah. that. Ew, it's sick. Well, again, they lived in Minnesota and sought out kids in Texas. Yeah. I mean, there has to be a financial incentive, like... Yeah. That we're clearly just overlooking, maybe, why Texas. It could be the restrictions or, like, there. Yeah. Or just how easy it is to get the money. Or they probably already knew, like, this. these people are going to pay out the most. I, I Part of me thinks that they really or did seek randomly. out black children because they did see themselves as like not, you know, progressive. Yeah, they're, a, they're a lesbian they're couple. They understand, you know, discrimination. You know, that, you know, you know, that kind of person. We all know that kind of person. Yeah. Um, and then it just fit. It fit their narrative of the white savior. Yeah. You know, these kids are. Every stereotype, they're in the system, they're violent. Of course, the black boys are violent and everything else. And it's just... They don't listen. Yeah. yeah. It's just disgusting. Yeah. Disturbing. And and too, with the aunt, with the paternal aunt who wanted not just Devante and Jeremiah and Sierra Rose. She wanted Dante, their older brother. Yeah. And she did take care of them. And obviously... Her daughter fucked up big time by asking the mother to come over. But so then she, that's it. She petitioned for years, even after Sarah and Jennifer adopted those three. She 
still was trying to get them back. Wow. She wanted That's those kids. because they probably knew that, yeah, keep them close to family if you can. Yeah. It's just so sad. Hmm. And yeah, I still do wonder why they, they didn't want Dante. Maybe because the first girl they had fostered, Lee, was, she was 15 and kind of wanted to do her own thing. Maybe they thought, you know, the younger they are, because they already tried to isolate her, the younger they are, it's easier to control them. It's easier to keep them, you know, in the house and everything else. Yeah. And, you know, Dante was nine, so I guess maybe to them he was a little too old. I don't know. Hmm. But I guess, guess you know, maybe, uh, well... Obviously, that ended up being better for him because he's still alive. Yeah. Um, Can you imagine, though, what he's feeling? And yeah. It's just horrible. Mm-hmm. It's really sad. As promised, an update. The foot found on the beach and presumed to belong to Hannah was confirmed earlier this month in January 2019 as belonging to Hannah Hart. Um, authorities were able to locate her mother, her biological mother, in Mobile, Alabama. Um, she provided a DNA sample which was tested against the foot, and so the remains are confirmed as Hannah Hart, um, which means that Devonte is now the sole missing heart child. Mm-hmm.